How we doing, traders? Welcome and welcome to the SPACs Attack, where we talk everything SPACs. And if you like the SPAC, give me a thumbs up. We're going to have to fight back the market a little bit here. But like always, guys, we're going to get into the SPACs of the day, talk about what's moving. It's a tough market out there, so stick with us, guys. We'll give you guys some fun, some entertainment, and of course, some information. Let's bring on my uh, my man, the brains to this show, Chris Ketchy. What's going on, Mitch? How are we doing today? Hey, you got to fight, fight, fight sometimes, and it's all good at the end of the day. Guess what, guys? This is what we're here for. This is when the time is to go ahead and do the deep dives, understand companies, and look to see who are going to be the winners. A lot of people were talking about on pre-market prep. It's it's now, it's it's, it's that kind of market. You got you to pick your stocks wisely here, and that's exactly what we do here on SPACs Attack. We talk about these SPACs so that you guys can get be informed. All right, Chris, are you ready for your headlines? I'm ready. We we don't have much out there, you know, everything red, but we can get into headlines. Got some earnings to recap. And then we did have three deals announced. So believe it or not, on this red day, three companies brave enough to announce those merger agreements today. Yep, definitely, definitely. Sometimes you got to move like Mayweather. <laughs> you got to move. You got to move, guys. So let's go ahead and let's keep it going. Let's take us back to the headlines. All right, guys. Yeah. So like I said, uh, headlines today, we're going to recap some of those earnings reported last night and then get into those deals. So last night we had uh, Velodyne VLDR report earnings. Um, so first quarter revenue of $17.7 million, beat the street consensus of $15.8 million, 29 total active multi-year agreements. They expect to hit 34 by the end of the fiscal year. Pipeline of 198 projects. They shipped 2,684 sensor units in the first quarter, which they said makes them the market leader in the first quarter. Um, they guide for full year revenue between 77 and 94 million. And they still say they have an opportunity for a billion dollars in revenue from signed and awarded projects through 2025 and a pipeline of potential projects worth. billion. So keep an eye out. VLDR, you know, as I've said, lots of players in the LIDAR space. Um, But according to them, and based on that number of units shipped, they appear to be one of the leaders in the field. Um, So definitely worth, you know, watching. Then we have Carlotts, LOTZ reported earnings last night. So first quarter revenue of $56.6 million, up 123% year over year. Unit sales up 76% to 2,554. They confirmed their previous guidance, so they plan to open 14 to 16 hubs for the full fiscal year, most of that coming in the back half of the year. And they expect 18,000 to 20,000 retail units sold. Full fiscal year revenue guided 335 million to 375 million. Shares did sell off quite a bit last night. Yesterday, the the used car sales segment seeing strong growth. Uh, I think everyone was a little surprised that they did not up their guidance, um, you know, with the strong results. So it appears like maybe those original forecasts they gave were on the optimistic side to begin with and not as conservative as hoped. We had UWMC, so uh, the largest wholesale mortgage lender in America, first quarter earnings, So they saw a loan volume of $49.1 billion, net income of $860 million. Um, You know, they they talked about how they're guiding toward, uh, you know, growth in the second quarter when some of their peers are actually seeing lower volume. Uh, They see second quarter loan volume, $51 to $55 billion. They announced a $300 million share buyback and a, a quarterly dividend of 10 cents. So if you remember yesterday on the show, I said one of the things I was watching was to see if they increased that dividend. I, I, I guessed wrong on that, but they did do that $300 million share buyback, um, You know, which is very similar, a way to reward shareholders. So not surprised there. But again, you know, selling off on that earnings report. Then we had SPCE, Virgin Galactic. Again, you know, no revenue. This is a pre-revenue company. Um, so the big story was their their timeline and their, um, you know, what happened in the first quarter. So 
They saw a loss of 55 cents per share. That's compared to a loss of $1.86 in the previous year. So in the first quarter, they unveiled the VSS Imagine, um, you know, their new vehicle, and then they reported 600 flights. Um, that that's no change there. So again, no new reservations. And, and they said that the timing of their next flight uh, is being evaluated currently. So if you remember yesterday, I said that there's rumors out there that um, May 14th opens their new flight window. Uh, I was hoping to get a confirmation, you know, from them yesterday, nothing out on that. So it appears like maybe they are a little further out. So, so this one, you know, is falling and could continue to fall. You, you know, they, they need news. They need a catalyst. They need those test flights to really get anything, you know, driving in this name. So no surprise uh, shares are selling off. And then our deals, um, so last night at four o'clock, there was a deal announced. We have AUS as the ticker. Win Interactive, the online gaming division of Win Resorts being spun off. Um, $3.2 billion valuation. So revenue of $96 million expected this year. $422 million next year. Um, Win is going to own 58% of the company after this SPAC merger. Um, so this is WinBet, BetBull, and WinSlots brands. So again, online sports betting, online gaming, um, you know, similar play now to DraftKings and others. Um, so they see, you know, a high growth and they have access to several states with those existing uh, physical casinos. So right now, six U.S. states. Um, but they have access to 15 states that cover 51% of the U.S. population. So keep an eye out, AUS. And then our deals today, we have AURC. Uh, this is digital home ownership platform, better.com. Fiscal 2021 revenue uh, projected at $1.39 billion, up 58%. Fiscal 2022, $2.71 billion, up 95%. $6.7 billion valuation. This is a fast growing company though. Again, those high revenue projections, um, they funded $24.2 billion in volume up 490% year over year in 2020. So fully digital home ownership platform, mortgage, real estate, title and homeowners insurance. Um, very similar play to others that we've seen go public via SPAC. So keep an eye out on this one. And then our other big deal announced today, we have SRNG, Soaring Eagle Acquisition, uh, a deal with Ginkgo Bioworks, which has been rumored, uh, $15 billion valuation, oversubscribed pipe includes Bailey Gifford, Cascade Investment, which is Bill Gates, uh, ARC Funds, and T. Rowe Price. Uh, so they are focused on engineered biology that can help with items like MRN, a, vaccines, animal-free protein, and renewables. They see a 2 to $4 trillion market size over the next 10 to 20 years. So they said, much like computer programming impacted every information-based industry, cell programming has the potential to impact every physical goods industry. Um, so some of their segments are pharma and biotech, industrials and environment, food and agriculture and consumer and technology. They can program cells like we program computers, make biology easier to engineer. Some of their partners, Moderna, Roche, ADM, uh, Bayer, Thermo Fisher, Pacific Biosciences. Revenue estimate for this year, $150 million, up 96% year over year. And then going forward, they see revenue hitting $175 million. 341 million, 628 million, and 1.1 billion over the next five fiscal years. Positive adjusted EBITDA in 2025. Shareholders will own 10% of the company. And then, as we mentioned yesterday, earnings today, we have Hylion, HYLN, Open Door, OPEN, and Quantum Scape QS reporting after the bell today. That's what I've got, Mitch. I know that was a, a lot there. Uh, you know, with those earnings, those deals. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah, there's a lot to look out for. And, and a couple of earnings that are definitely going to be on my watch is that Utz, Utz Brands has been pulling back significantly. The question is, how far of a pullback are we going to get on this? Um, so definitely, definitely one that I got to say, look out for. Um, I'm not 
I'm not so certain on this earnings call that we're going to get what we want. And we've been seeing a real turnaround from that $30 price point. So let's see if it can get back above 28. But yeah, the earnings at the end of the week, definitely watch out for those. Um, another one to watch is definitely at the, uh, I think tomorrow is QS, right? Today is QS. Tonight. Perfect. Yeah, that's one. Definitely keep a watch out, guys. Um, it's been pulling back. The question is, will it hold kind of that first day that uh, we started trading on the 27th of November where we had a low of 24.50? That's what I'm really watching for. Can we hold that 24.50 so that we can come trending back up? Definitely keep your eyes on those. We definitely want to warn people, be out there. No, Understand your risk. It's not always about changing the plan. I know that a lot of traders are doing that in this environment where their risk becomes now double of what they were looking at. Definitely, definitely, guys. I always say stick to the plan, stick to the original plan, because at least that way you know exactly what your out and rewards are going to be. Keep yourself in that mathematical probability, and that will get you back into this market. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into the best part of the day where we start unlocking some SPACs. We want to get into our interview. As you guys see over my shoulder, we're going to go ahead and get to it right now. Let's go ahead and unlock some SPACs and get to our interview. All right, perfect. Yeah, so our favorite time of the day, uh, another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. So joining us on the show today, we have John Wilk, the CEO of Secure. Company is going public with Roman DBDR Tech Acquisition Corp. That's ticker DBDR. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Chris and Mitch, uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. All right. I'm going to let Chris ask some questions, and I'll be back with some of my own. All right. Perfect. So let's dive in, John. Uh, You know, Wondering if before we get into this deal, if you can give viewers um, some of your background. I see that you worked for, um, you know, JP Morgan Chase and also PayChoice. So just some background, uh, you know, on your career in the industry. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I spent a good part of my career in the banking industry with Bank of America and JP Morgan, managing large multi-billion dollar businesses inside of those financial institutions in payments and uh, retail banking. Uh, Following that, I did a stint in private equity and led a turnaround of a software business and sold that company and then met the founders of CompoSecure and their private equity sponsors about five years ago uh, and joined the company. Perfect. So one of the big questions we always ask here on SPACs Attack, since we're, you know, focused on SPACs is, why a SPAC merger to bring CompoSecure public and was a traditional IPO a consideration as well? So when, first of all, we're not a startup. Um, we've been around 20 years. Uh, our founders grew the company for the first 15 years and took on private equity money in 2015. So at a six year mark for our private equity sponsors, very natural point for us to think about going to Uh, a transaction. We did look at traditional IPO and SPAC. With our story, um, we've got a very uh, interesting, we think, core business uh, that has driven our growth and profitability over the last 20 years. We also have some new adjacent markets that we're entering. And our ability to tell the forward story through the SPAC transaction was important to us. So not just the past 20 years, but important for us to be able to tell the story of the next five years and felt like the SPAC was a much better route to, to, uh, to, to go down. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, the, the current segment. So we have, you know, the, these payment cards, you've got some, you, you know, behind you. So premium payment cards, what does this mean and how does Compo Secure, you know, play in that uh, market segment? So today we partner with financial institutions and fintech companies across the globe to help them acquire new customers uh, and drive spending in their business. So we'll deliver 22 million metal cards to the market this year, delivering over 280 million in revenue, over 100 million in EBITDA. And we get there with 100 plus card programs across the globe, including six of the top 10 US issuers, very long tenure uh, for our largest clients, 
and an intellectual property portfolio that is it helps create competitive moats around our business. Awesome. So, you know, I see in the presentation some key partners, you know, JP Morgan Chase, uh, American Express. Can you walk us through a little bit on how these deals are structured? It, you know, is Compo Secure, you know, given a one time payment? Is this multi year deals? How can we look at, uh, you know, how these deals are structured financially? Sure. So if you actually go uh, to the next page in the deck, it's actually a better page to talk a little bit about some of our largest clients. So because we've got both depth and breadth of relationships, um, Amex for us is an 18 year relationship. JP Morgan is a 13 year relationship and it's a combination of proprietary business. So Chase Sapphire Preferred and Reserve with co-brands like United, Whole Foods, Amazon, American Express, you've got proprietary business with Platinum and Gold and co-brand business with Amazon Business Prime, Marriott Delta as examples. And so these are multi-year contracts. We have another almost four years remaining on our American Express contract. We've got three years remaining on our contract with JP Morgan Chase. Perfect. So I, I want to get into some of the growth and the new segments. So there's an innovative cryptocurrency cold storage and security solution called uh, Arculus that, that's going to be launched by your company in the third quarter. So, so talk to us about what Arculus is all about uh, and what we can look forward to in the third quarter of this year. Sure. So if you look at the crypto market today, when customers are buying crypto, they're storing that traditionally in a, a hot wallet, which means the exchange holds the private keys to your crypto. In the last two weeks alone, and Chris, I can't make this stuff up, uh, we've seen an exchange in Turkey that's been hacked where all of the customer assets are gone. Unclear if it was uh, an outside hack or an inside problem. Um, we've also seen examples where the large exchanges in the US have also had customers have their devices hacked. And in both cases, when the exchange holds your private keys, it's more vulnerable. And so what we've seen emerge in the crypto landscape is cold storage. And what that simply means is that the customer is in control of their private keys to their crypto. And we've leveraged our 20 year history in payments and security uh, to build a product that has three-factor authentication. So you need your biometric, your PIN, as well as your Arculus card, which stores your private keys to your crypto to transact. And without those three factors, you know, no one could get access to your crypto. Perfect. So, you know, in the presentation, We've got, you know, some interesting market sizes then because you have two, you know, different markets to try to, you know, forecast going forward. So talk to us a little bit about the, the total addressable market sizes of these payment cards and, and then also the, the new crypto wallet side of things as well. Sure. I'll start with the payment card business. So there are 13 billion payment cards in circulation. There are more than four to five billion payment cards issued in any given year. And with that, last year, we issued 20 million metal cards to the market, which basically, if you do the math, you know, we've, uh, we're at about half a percent of what we think is the total addressable market for metal payment cards. And that continues to grow both domestically and internationally, as well as with fintech clients across the globe for us. So we think we're still in the early innings of our growth story there, to use a, a baseball analogy. Domestically, we're probably in the third inning and internationally, uh, we're still in the first inning of what we can do in the, the metal payment card business. Awesome. So, you know, we see here in fiscal 2020 revenue of $261 million and, you know, positive adjusted EBITDA of $116 million. So, you know, we talk SPACs all the time and there's a lot of companies, you know, going public that are either, you know, pre-revenue or, you know, don't have that positive adjusted EBITDA. So how do you think that plays into, you know, uh, potential shareholders valuing a company like CompoSecure here? So we think we're actually a fairly unique asset in the market right now. 
So if you look at the combination of growth, profitability, and future potential here, we've got a core business that if you look backward, grew at a 29% CAGR over the last uh, few years. If you look forward, we're projecting a 15% growth rate in the core. And with that, you've got the opportunity in the crypto and broader digital asset marketplace. And Chris, I didn't really address the, the total addressable market size there, but inside the crypto world, there are more than 70 million customers using hot wallets to store crypto. We think there are more than 5 million cold storage units that have been sold already into that market. Those numbers are projected to grow to 230 million for crypto users in general and hot wallets and over 35 million for cold storage units. With how easy we've made it with the Arculus solution to store your crypto in an even more secure manner, we're looking at attacking the 230 million crypto users across the globe, not just the market projections for 35 million cold storage units over the next five years. Perfect, so you know, in that investor presentation, you know, obviously you you forecast a couple of years going out and, you know, for some of the, the payment card businesses that may be easier to do because you have so many years experience in the market. But then we get into the crypto side of things, you know, an Arculus. How do you forecast revenue, you know, for a new segment like that, um, you know, going forward? So we look at the opportunities for us in the crypto and broader digital asset ecosystem in kind of three buckets. One is the crypto space, which we're going to attack most immediately. The second is additional uh, vertical industries like gaming and gambling, where we think the three-factor authentication solution of Arculus has great applicability. And then we overlay on both of those insurance and think of this as uh, people that want to insure their crypto assets uh, or their Arculus card and partnering with uh, third-party insurance brokers to develop an insurance product which we can sell as well. The nearest in opportunity being crypto is somewhat more straightforward to forecast given uh, the units that are out there in the market and the, uh, the data that's out there on ASPs. The, in the crypto cold storage space, we think generally uh, the 5 million units that have been sold have been sold at an ASP of, let's call it 80 to $90 um, relative to you know, where we compete in the payment business. It's a much, much higher ASP. And we've got the ability to earn very strong hardware margins in that space. Perfect. And then the last thing I want to get into before we bring Mitch back on for some questions is, um, you know, there is a slide here talking about multiple large growth opportunities. So obviously, you know, we've talked a little bit about the crypto side of things, but what other business segments is CompostSecure looking to uh, grow in uh, going forward? So a couple of the others I mentioned, um, one would be the gaming segment. So Inside of gaming today, what you're seeing is a huge amount of the revenue is tied to in-game transactions. And you're seeing a combination of fraud, uh, as well as a desire to add crypto into the gaming world that a number of the gaming companies that uh, both we and the Roman team are having conversations with, you know, indicate a pretty strong interest in both locking down their ecosystems, as well as adding crypto as services for payments into that ecosystem. In addition, you could look at things like online gambling, where using a three-factor authentication solution for bets over a certain size, just to add an additional level of security into that space as well. All right, I'm going to go ahead and hop in here. And I really like what you were just talking about. And I want to expand a little bit more on that gaming aspect. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that, let's say, uh, a, lot, a lot of the, the sports betting that you see now is done through mobile phone, right? And and mobile is, is always a concern when you go and lose that mobile phone and, and the security that comes with. So one of the I, – I sports bet myself. And, you know, I have a, a pretty – 
pretty decent account size in in my account and so one of the concerns is like you mentioned that there is only kind of right now a password that's blocking me getting into my account I would love for it to be a, a kind of a, a second verification or even a third verification. Can you explain how can, that can really be a benefit and maybe a, a potential partnership that you can be looking for in this area? Yeah, Mitch, let me uh, start. I, I couldn't agree more and I feel the same way, both about banking, you know, gambling, gaming, all the different spaces where today you log in, you've got a, a password protecting you. We ultimately think the three-factor authentication of Arculus with a combination of needing your biometric, a unique PIN, and your Arculus card, which you would tap to the back of your phone to authenticate who you are. In the security space, you think about kind of three things, something you know, something you are, something you have. And in this case, that third factor is what we call air-gapped, or not connected to the online world in any way. It doesn't have a battery, it doesn't require a charge, um, therefore it's just totally independent of the electronic world and you know, stores your private keys securely uh, on that card. So the combination of biometric pin and your Arculus card, we think is unique and differentiated and would add an additional level of security that you described to the, uh, the gambling example. All right, so one last question I would have on the story behind this really is one question that I would have is, did, did you feel that the pandemic actually sped up the process in your business or actually is it holding it down in any way? I, I, I kind of agree more with the first one, but I'll leave it up to you, John. Sure, so I've been asked the question a lot, Mitch, what, ha what happens to our business in a recession? And, you know, we grew 7% last year in the face of a pandemic and a recession. So we feel pretty good about the growth that we ultimately delivered to the market last year. And I would say it accelerated our growth and innovation on some of the new areas that we're attacking, like the crypto and broader digital asset ecosystem, and enabled us to accelerate that growth into this year. All right. So the next area that I want to get into is valuation. You know, a lot of SPACs are now being really focused on this side. And so what I wanted to focus here was kind of the percentage revenue here. And, and also, if we look here at the bottom is the margin. The margins what really stands out to me here. Um, and and we'll, we'll go kind of in, in a closer view here so that I can focus more on that margin. Can you explain how you guys are going to achieve this margin? It looks like in 2022, looks like a, a margin here of 29% compared to, let's say, back here that's on the downside, on the negative of 10%. How do you guys achieve this margin com compared to a, a comparable company? Yeah, so Mitch, let's start with the fact that we're earning a 40 plus percent EBITDA margin today on our core business, number one. Number two, our hardware economics and the margin that we can earn in hardware are extraordinary. So if you look at our ASPs and our core payment card business versus the ASPs that exist in the crypto cold storage markets, they're you know, five to 10 times higher uh, in the crypto cold storage market. And we've got the manufacturing scale to produce profitably to be able to drive the kind of volume and margin um, that we see in this business. The reason the margins are actually dipping is we're investing in growth over the next five years uh, to drive our brand and, and build a new business. Um, but we believe that our ability to operate in the crypto and broader digital asset ecosystem should be just as profitable or more over time uh, than our core business. Another thing that, we, of course, we can point out here is the multiples here in the future revenue. And, and you guys can clearly see here uh, those bars on the right definitely standing out versus the small bar that we have here on the left here. We got 4x uh, implied here 
for 2021 com compared to say let's say a paypal at 11 times there um that's kind of a, another company we can compare you to here and, and so explain to me how you guys have that four times versus a, a, a let's say paypal that has definitely has been pushing the growth but as we can see right now that multiple might just be a little bit too high so mitch as we look at things the valuation itself on the core business we think is reasonable and fairly valued. Offering a call option to investors on the crypto and broader digital asset ecosystem, the upside opportunity that we see for investors coming in, in our view, at a reasonable valuation on a core business that's highly profitable and growing with the upside of us entering into uh, the crypto and broader digital asset ecosystem. So we think it's a, a great and somewhat unique investment opportunity out there. Awesome. I'm going to hop back in here, John. So one of the things we like to do on the show here, since we have, you know, our, our loyal fans who have been with us from the start, is we like to grab some questions from the chat. So our, our first question here um, is asking, how will uh, Compo Secure deal, deal with digital wallets? So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, uh, competition and, you know, is digital wallets going to hurt, um, you know, the physical cards or is that just a, a growth segment for the company? Um, I think it can be both, but let me just start with mobile in general. So, you know, um, Mobile wallets and mobile payments are at least five years old in the marketplace, and they haven't taken off as people expected them to. And the reason is that the underlying transaction, the consumer transaction with the card, works exceptionally well. In places where mobile has displaced other things in areas like music or uh, my boarding pass for my, uh, my flights, the underlying consumer experience was broken. Cards work well. Consumer research suggests that uh, people don't view their mobile phone as safe as their credit card. They don't know who to go to to handle a dispute. These are examples of real customer research. And we think that will somewhat limit the growth of mobile payments and mobile wallets. At the same time, we and others have introduced the ability to tap your card at point of sale and pay. and that the convenience and, and speed of that transaction, we think uh, helps make sure that cards are gonna be around for a long, long time. At the same time, right, we are attacking the broader digital asset ecosystem with Arculus. And so we see both, uh, you know, as things that we can combat in the core business, uh, as well as upside opportunity for us in the future. Perfect. And then another question here from uh, Carl, you know, one of our loyal fans out there. So we, we heard you mention, you know, gaming and the payment side of things there. So uh, another company that went public via SPAC was Paysafe. So Paysafe, you know, has a, a strong position in the gaming market. Is there any partnership with Paysafe? Are they a competitor or any thoughts on uh, Paysafe here? So I'm not gonna comment specifically on Paysafe, but I do wanna comment on partnerships. So our history is in selling B2B. So we've partnered with some of the best financial institutions in the world, some of the leading FinTech names in the world, and we intend to continue to do that. We can white label the Arculus solution and plug it into a crypto exchange. We can plug it into a financial institution, and we can also plug it into a FinTech that is looking to add cryptocurrency to their offering. And we can do that in a way that is seamless for the customer so they feel like they're staying within the ecosystem. So in nearly all cases, we think there are partnering opportunities for Compo Secure and Arculus to, to partner uh, in, in many examples to drive that success. Perfect. And then our last question here from the chat from Brad, um, asking public SPAC holders will make up over 20%. Uh, so we're talking about the ownership post-merger. So I see in the presentation, it, it looks like 28%. Is is that correct? Just want to get confirmation here. Um, we can both pull up the page together in terms of looking at the, the transaction overview. What I would say, depending on redemptions, 
is that existing shareholders will continue to own more than 60% of the company. So that is the private equity sponsor, the founders and management will continue to own 60 plus percent of the company on a go forward basis where we think, you know, well aligned to investors that are coming in. Perfect. Yeah, I think the the 28% part that I'm seeing, you know, it's very high for a lot of these SPAC deals getting done. So I think that's, you know, a, a positive thing for shareholders to look forward to, um, you know, John. So we want to thank you for, for taking time out of your busy schedule, joining us on SPACs Attack uh, on the show today. So again, guys, joining us, we had John Wilk, the CEO of Compo Secure, going public with Roman DBDR Tech Acquisition, ticker is DBDR. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Thanks, Chris and Mitch, for having me. Love watching your show. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll have you back. All right, guys, as you guys heard it here first, another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. And what we do best, guys, is try to get into what we feel is, is some areas that you guys should really be paying attention to. As you guys saw Chris mentioning there multiple times, the crypto aspect of this company. And I think that's a really, really big aspect to definitely keep your eyes out on you know, and, and, and we could talk about it. You know, one of the things that I didn't bring up too much and I'll bring up the slide now is kind of more uh, of kind of where are we in and kind of where we could see kind of these kind of getting that existing relationship to help. You know, of course, I, I think with Roman, it's going to help them get into that blockchain. But, you know, there's a lot of competitors also in this area and, and some of these that work with uh, are going to work with these payment services. And, and really, I think, Chris, what's the next move here? And, 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 you know, you're seeing them talk about this ecosystem. Where do you see the company going and moving forward with this? Yeah, you know, this, this was an interesting one. And, you know, as Carl in the chat, they're saying too, you know, never would have been on the radar. This is one that kind of slipped under the radar when it was announced. And, you know, a real revenue, real adjusted, you know, EBITDA, so not a startup by any means. But to, to me, it's really, you know, two, two things. Uh, the digital payment cards. So, I mean, Mitch, like I've seen my own debit cards and credit cards transform, right? They used to have, mm -hmm. you know, all the cards on the front. Now they have chips in them. They they have the numbers on the back instead to be more secure. They have the sw uh, swipe or tap to swipe, um, you know, so all that authentication, you know, in that card, you, you know, to keep it more secure, that they're growing in that segment and they have those key partnerships, you know, JP Morgan Chase and American Express, two of the leaders and, and now crypto, right? They're, they're getting into cryptocurrency with that Arculus product in the third quarter. And, you know, the, the cold storage, which, you know, as he said, it, it, it's so, you know, you, you have to be aware and you have to have your stuff in secure or it can just get stolen. Um, you know, we, we've seen that with Bitcoin and crypto. You, you read headlines, you know, every week or every month where, you know, someone hacked in and got millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin that wasn't secure in, you know, cold storage wallets. So very interesting. That's going to launch in the third quarter of this year. This deal probably will get completed in, in the second quarter. So I think that sets them up nicely, right, to, to be able to get the SPAC merger complete and then turn around and introduce that new product. That, that's a story right there, right? Boom, boom. Um, so I think that could be a catalyst to watch. But, you know, this, this is an interesting one. Definitely, definitely. I have to agree. I'm going to keep an eye out on that crypto aspect and we'll definitely watch how they expand. Um, one of the things that I did like was the sports mention. Give them some other way of making some money. That's why I started to, uh, trying to ask a little bit more about it. And I go through the experience myself. So uh, I'm definitely going to be watching it as we see kind of the sports betting uh, companies are also probably going to be hearing about their security and how they can be better secured. So they're going to be looking at companies that can help them like right here, Cup of Secure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like the comments he had on sports, you know, and you, um, you know, went into more detail on that. I, I think that's maybe a growth area that they, that they considered. It, it's on the table, but right now their number one priority is let's launch this crypto platform. But then I think after that's launched, you're, you're going to see more products. You, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to be a publicly traded company, right? They, they have to get new items out. They have to get growth. 
And I think sports is, you know, going to be a huge focus going forward, uh, along with digital games, right? Similar to PaySafe, you know, where, uh, you know, Roblox, Fortnite, all the transactions that, you know, kids and others are doing on these gaming platforms, right? You want to make sure it's secure. All right. So we got a good question here in the chat here. Um, we're getting a question from Brad Moore here asking about why does it make an impact on how much, let's say, you own of the company? Is it 20%, 10%? Why does that make a difference, Chris? Yeah, you know, so that's kind of a, a personal opinion thing. But, you know, you look at some of these startups where, where they go public and, you know, the, the owners still own, you know, 70, 80 percent of the company. Right. And, and sometimes it's just the way the math works out. Right. If a two hundred dollar SPAC takes a, you know, two billion dollar company public, they, they can't get a huge ownership stake. But to me, I like the fact that shareholders are going to own a larger percentage of this company, right? That matters, right? It's more of a voice. Um, it's a higher float of shares out there too, right? Which makes it, you know, it, which sometimes the low float names are the ones that, you know, can can move significantly up and down. But to me, you know, having more shares out there is, I think, a positive, um, you know, in, in this range. But, you know, I, I just I see some of these SPAC deals. We saw it with UWM Holdings, right? The mortgage company where shareholders only owned like 1.6% of the company after the deal was done. That, that's a very small chunk. Like kind of why even go public at that point? Because shareholders don't own anything. And then, you know, the, the current owners are going to sell more chunks later on then, you know, to get the float bigger. So that's something to watch too. So now with 28%, there's only so much more shares that can get, you know, sold by the founders of the company. So uh, I think it's a positive. Yeah, definitely. It's something to keep in mind. I, I think it's something that's not watched after. But if you really look after the people that are big and, and deep into SPACs, they definitely pay attention to it. And they make note when it's really low and they make note when it's really high. So definitely keep your eyes on that statistic let's go ahead and let's get into some of the watch list maybe some of the earnings that are going to be coming out here later in the week we can take a look we didn't get to every single one yesterday so maybe we can take a look at some of those right now um i know that it, today's the 11th so we already kind of talked a little bit about qs but there's also two other ones for today and then let's get into what we got looking into tomorrow and thursday chris so what's out there what what, what should we all pay attention to yeah, so tonight we got Hylion, Open Door, and QuantumScape. So, uh, you know, this is interesting because Hylion, you know, obviously not a ton of revenue yet, right? It's about the future for them. QuantumScape, no revenue, right? They they don't have a product out. And, and then we have Open Door, right? Real revenue and, and real product. And Open Door, we're, we're going to see, you know, how much did they grow? which obviously they, they have two things working for and against them, right? The, the digital uh, buying and selling of houses is growing, but also we're still in the pandemic where maybe less people are, are selling or buying a house right now. So, you know, I'll be curious to see what their numbers say. And then, you know, also should note, uh, Mitch, you know, ARC Funds, Kathy Wood, she, she did sell uh, a million shares yesterday of Open Door. She's been in this one for a long time. Um, so interesting to see that she sold that, you know, a couple days before earnings. Could she be selling more? Could she be exiting this position? Um, you know, what kind of report will they, uh, they have? And then tomorrow, you know, another, another big day, right? These D-SPACs. We have Shift, SFT, which I would expect Shift to, you know, Probably not trade very uh, positively after uh, Carlot's getting, uh, you know, hammered on that report. Similar market. And then we have Playboy, which to me, Playboy, you know, they're going to be able to talk about, you know, the NFT auction they just did. Their, their upcoming NFT auctions, right, Mitch, which you got into, you know, yesterday on the show. That This wasn't a one-time deal. They have deals lined up with more artists. Yep. This was the start of their NFT launch. So I think, you know, they're going to continue to be mentioned as an NFT play, but really they're, they're a huge licensing brand. So in this quarterly report, we're, we're going to see, you know, what kind of licensing deals did they land? Is, is there anything new? 
Um, what kind of new products are they going to launch? When they launched the SPAC deal, this was about like sexual health and wellness was going to be their new focus. And we really haven't heard uh, a ton about that lately because it's been all about NFTs. So could we get some new news there? And, and then TTCF, Tattooed Chef, you know, that huge partnership with Target starting to pay off that new product launch announced yesterday. Uh, we could get some new details on that as well. So uh, interesting, um, you know, week with earnings tonight and tomorrow still. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I might have to agree with my man Carl in the chat. It might be a day to uh, head to the pool. <laughs> head to the pool. I might just. It might be a day to head towards the pool, jump into the pool. Even though if I had a pool right now, I'd be frozen because there's snow outside here in Colorado. But hey, if you can go to the pool, enjoy the pool today. It might just be that kind of day. What are you thinking, Chris? Yeah, Might be that I, kind of day, right? Yeah, you know, I I think uh, I I told you before the show, uh, Ryan Rosbiani, you know, who has a show here on Benzinga a couple days a week, he he said it best on Twitter today. He said today's one of those days. It, it's a red day. You look at your portfolio and you, you walk away, right? You can spend all day today staring at that screen watching these shares drop. It, it's probably not going to be good for your mental health and your sanity. You know, if you're a day trader or a swing trader, you know, maybe you need to do some trades today. But otherwise, you're best to just let your portfolio go today because there's not a lot that you can do. Uh, Mitch, I, I did pull up my uh, the watch list. And, you know, when I looked this morning, everything was red. We do actually have, uh, you know, a couple uh, SPACs or former SPACs, you know, now in the green. You know, it's always an interesting day when all the SPACs are red and, and Nicola is one of the top performers. I, I see, you know, Nicola up about 2%, I think. So, you know, that always cracks me up when we have, you know, all these SPACs getting hammered. And then we see a, a former SPAC that's been, you know, the, the kind of the joke of the industry, you know, having a green day. So interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a tough market out there, you guys. If it's it's been a tough market the last two to three months, and and and, it, and it's it's it sucks. I'll I'll be I'll be as honest as I can say, man. It, it sucks, guys, because we had such a good 2020, and this is why you got to also understand that when you got a good market and the good and the giving's good, sometimes you got to take as much as you can get from the market because there's gonna be times when the market is just tough. Tough, tough, tough. And today, I think it's definitely one of those days the market is just tough. And 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 even if you're on the right stock, you can be on the right stock and still see it turn around. Um, like uh, you know, we could we could talk about a couple of stories here, but I mean, hey, th there's gonna be a bunch of turnaround stories. And and one of the things that I always say about stories is that stories change, and a lot of times the story will change. Uh, based on a lot of things, sometimes I even outside of the factor of that specific stock, it could be something going on in the industry. It can be going something going on in the whole overall market. And so that's what you always got to keep in mind when you're playing a story stock is that, hey, I got to stick to the technicals. I got to stick to my risk and reward. If it somehow breaks through that, then I got to get out because even if I got the right story, the right fundamentals with a stock, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go up. You can have the best story in the world and the story stocks still struggle. Yeah, you know, it's not just SPACs, right? It's the whole market. It's a lot of these growth industries. You know, Mitch, we, we talk story all the time, you know, outside of SPACs. You know, normally when these companies, you know, they announce, uh, you know, share buyback. They announce a dividend raise. They announce positive earnings. They announce a spinoff. Usually shares are up. The one I saw today, L Brands, right? LB, they're spinning off Victoria's Secret, you know, after a process to either sell or spin it off, shares are down today. You know, that was seen, you know, months ago as a positive move. And yeah, shares are up a bunch this year. But normally a, an announcement that the spinoff is happening, shares would have popped. But we're not getting that anymore. So is, is that DraftKings there? Yep. You know it. The ones that are struggling, the monsters, DraftKings and Penn, both struggling, both struggling. Let's see if they start bouncing back. Yeah, and you know a story to watch here, Mitch, could be with with the sports betting and these these pullbacks. You know, I, I've been saying it for a while. I think we we both kind of talked about it. One of our earlier shows 
is will we see some consolidation in the sports betting market? Is now the time with some of these companies coming down in valuation that we start to see maybe some mergers and acquisitions in the space? What do you think? I think you're uh, you could be dead on there, man. One of the one of the ones that I've been seeing that could be coming after is I do see GAN start really coming down here, and it's gonna get it's gonna get to a price where a company might think about it. I mean, it is definitely a, a company that at, for a point there early in the year was trending straight up, and then look how this turned around right back down towards that support. Let's see what happens with GAN. That's also one that's definitely keeping on my radar as I see it pull back here. But there's going to be a bunch of these in the sports sector to see what happens here and if these can keep going. Um, I, don't, I don't know how SEAH has been performing, but. Yeah, I would say, Mitch, spot on with GAN, right? Because GAN is the the technology provider, right? The back end mm-hmm. support. So the thing back-end. that a lot of people forget with DraftKings is when DraftKings went public, the SPAC acquired DraftKings and SB Tech. And SB Tech is the technology partner, the back end. But DraftKings already had a deal with Cambi that they've had to use up until now. Now they're transitioning to their own proprietary back end software, which is going to help their margins. So I think that makes DraftKings, you know, stronger. But I think a company like GAN could be a, a huge acquisition target for one of these big players. And then also Cambi, which doesn't trade in the U.S., but I know it's part of the uh, the BETS ETF, B-E-T-Z, from our friends at Roundhill. You could see Cambi get bought out, right? Because these gaming providers could control more of their cost if they own the back-end uh, technology providers. So I, I think we start to see some consolidation in sports betting because, you know, look at Michigan, Mitch. I, I'm here. There, there's 11 companies that have, uh, you know, platforms. So I'm on a couple different apps, right, because I got the free money over that opening weekend. But how, oh, am I suppose, how am I supposed to use, you know, 10 different apps every night to bet on sports? Eventually you pick you pick your favorites, right? Or you pick the ones you have the most money in, and those are the ones you use. So the market share of the others starts to drop off. So, Mm -hmm. And one of the stats that you guys need to watch is after a bet, a a person bets on a platform, how how long does it take for them to put another bet on that same platform? It's very important because a lot of what Chris is pointing out there is also the promo game in sports betting and gaming. I mean, this is a real, real aspect to the strategy. What kind of strategy are you aiming for with your company? There's completely different strategies in this industry. If you're looking at certain companies like, uh, let's say, uh, DraftKings or, or even the, the one that we've heard about that could potentially come to market, right? FanDuel, right? And so those are different uh, promo strategies. And let's say a company like, let's say, even PointsBets that's that's behind uh, certain, one, uh, certain companies or even the platform itself and how it offers the money. What's the, what's the max? There's some that are offering as high as 1000 on your first on your first bet. Why do they offer that high is because they need to get people uh, leveraged over that hurdle of let's say a different one where it would be at 500 if I could get a thousand back I'm, I'm probably going to go and look at that thousand back and so start looking at this and how this affects their bottom line is actually important I think certain companies are looking at a 10 year kind of growth outlook and then certain companies are looking at right now three years five years how can I really best my margins and those are the companies that I also want to take a look at there's 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 two different sides here yeah definitely you know that that's what got me hooked right you go after that that free promo money and, and you know that they, they hopefully get a customer for life but also what happens if that customer stops betting or they they don't put any more money in you know how much did you really make off of that potential customer so you know something to watch for for sure in sports betting so, and then All I'm right. seeing uh, a quantum scape starting to move now, Mitch. Looks like yeah. up 3%. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the things that you saw today is, okay, and, and I'll show you guys this. So, a lot of times what we get, is, and, and we've been getting this often, and I, I, might, I might just show you the spies to kind of show you what, this happens often, guys. So, a lot of times what we're going to get is that this market has been a market that really likes making moves in pre and after market after hours. And so a lot of times what you got today is you got that huge dip 
in the pre-market. And then when we actually get to the open, we, how much did we actually dip from the open? We only dipped probably maybe a percentage, maybe 1% there. But this whole area, that was a big dip. And so that's what you got to watch for a lot of the times. We get these kind of trend changes. And when do they happen a lot of the times? They happen going into this 10 o'clock, 10.30 time. And as you see today, we actually turned around near 11. This is not common. And so one of the things that you want to see is, does this pattern continue? And do we keep seeing these kind of patterns where the SPY makes big moves up in after hours or big moves down in pre-market i've been seeing this pattern happen often and that's what you got today in qs right and so as the open actually comes what you get look look pre-market down what happens at the open up and so this is common common guys look for patterns patterns is always what you want to be on top of and that's what you go ahead and start learning and looking for it seeing if this pattern is normally out there and and, and I, I know sheriff.com he probably knows he's probably seen these before yeah, these kind he, of patterns he mentioned during the show earlier Mitch I, I don't know how far back this is in the chat but he mentioned a couple stocks um, and how much they had bounced from this morning's moves. My boy, I got um, him right here. Yeah, so so Jumia, obviously I know Jumia, not a SPAC. It's one of my favorites. I do own shares. Mitch, if you pull up JMIA, this thing was down about 30% today uh, on that earnings report. We just turned green. The, this thing is now positive on the day. Um, you know, that huge sell-off this morning, a, a complete overreaction. Look, doesn't and, this look like the same chart? Say, yeah. Look at that. Look, down, down, down pre-market. What happened at the open? Spike up. And so one of the things that you can notice on here is not only the pattern, guys, is how the market tries to create emotions in pre-market and after hours. Because why? Because that's when traders are kind of restricted and watching versus taking the trades. And when you're watching is when the market itself can create emotion for you. Like when you see a, a straight down trend in pre-market, the only thing that could possibly go into your head is probably, hey, are we going to get more down action at the open here? But really what that shows is that eventually when we get down waves, guys, there's always waves. It's kind of like a down wave and then there's a bounce back. Some people call that the dead cat bounce to see if it's going to go ahead and bounce and just quickly fade away again. But this is something that you're going to see common, guys, is that you're going to see that complete dip and then all of a sudden it pops up. Then it goes to resistance and dips again. And so this is when you can get caught a lot of the time. So you have to know your trading plans. Like let's say if you did take this trade on, on Jemiah today at the support, at let's say you got in, you're, you're thinking 18 is the bottom here. So you take a trade here off of 18.50 and you're going to hold to that 18. The key is to hold towards that 18 because if this is a dead cat bounce, it'll go back through that level and you don't want to get caught as a bag holder. It's okay to play these bounces, but understand you need to be really tight with your risk and then look for that reward and also set that reward. It's not just, oh, is this stock going to go back 60, 70% gainers? I keep thinking that... People are stuck with the mentality, Chris, and I think you saw it, and I think we both saw it, that everyone expects 50% returns. This is yeah. not normal. This is I, not common in any market, guys. Only last year was the first market that I ever saw that That's it was what 2020 common. did to us is it gave us these high expectations now unrealistic i called them on on money mitch unrealistic expectations of profits is is one of the worst ways to get into this market because once you got it in your mentality and it's just playing in and playing out what you end up doing is you get the mentality i can always dip by and make money and and this is what this market did to us and 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 it, it hurts it hurts because when you get caught you get caught on the downside yeah, it looks like UWMC actually holding up decent now today, too. So, you know, some of these companies that reported earnings last night, they, they got hammered on those reports. But, you know, sometimes it takes a day or two to really digest what was said in those earnings reports, right? And that's what we try to bring you here is, you know, some of the details, um, you know, of what was in the earnings report, you know, what should you be looking at? And what did they say about the future, right? Uh, a lot of times these earnings reports ignore the past, right? Focus on the future. So did they raise guidance? Did, you know, in UWMC's case, you know, they, they're doing that share buyback that's going to help earnings per share down the road. 
Um, you know, so I, I'm seeing that one start to turn positive as well. So, you know, again, red day out there, guys. You know, if you have to walk away from your screen, um, you know, but it, it's it's brutal out there. But look for, you know, the best of breed. And, you know, you might have to be more of a long term investor here. All right, guys, Power Hour is coming up next. We're going to be wrapping up in the next minute here. But just want to definitely give a shout out. Uh, someone stating in the, in the chat that this could be a kind of a panic dip out of growth. And then that's when the you see the hedge, hedges come in and, and grab it at the bottom. And that's normal. That's normal. This is a time in market where you have to start picking some winners. It's okay to pick a stock that's off support and, and been hit hard. But the key is, is that you can't have that completely make up your portfolio. And I think that's the important part now is that it's okay to have some growth. I'm not telling anybody out there to not to trade growth at all. I'm just saying that you got to be careful in this market and you have to, if, if you're definitely doing more of a portfolio outlook, have some different types of stocks in that portfolio. It, it used to be a point in time where I, I think 30 or 40 percent uh, all tech was an actual smart portfolio. Now that just might, might not make sense here, guys. And that's one, another thing that I've been seeing is, and Chris and I talked about it. It's big tech, big tech that let us up. Big, will big tech get us moving again? That's what I want to see. Can we get Amazon to come back? I mean, have you seen that Amazon chart, guys? This is this is a, a stock that has completely out, out, out ripped outripped earnings oh i think we got our earnings i think we got our alarm clock here mitch ding 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 <laughs> <laughs> what's up Aaron? all right I'm so it's time to wrap hey hey, hey time just, to wrap. just watch out watch out guys because this is what got to bring us back it looked like we were getting that rip out and that's why people thought we were going to get a melt up but this quickly turned around this is the stocks. These are the kind of stocks that are going to bring us back and bring us into the growth sector back. So definitely stick around, guys. We'll see you guys on the Power Hour. This will bring you guys straight to it. Hit the like. Hit the like. Also, hit the like if you like me just sweeping off Aaron there. But Smash all right. the like for Aaron. We'll see you guys. We'll see you guys on the Power Hour. You guys can Hi, go everyone. tell Aaron B that he can control me on Power Hour. <laughs> Later, guys. We'll see you guys. The Specs. Attack. Ah!